Welcome to episode 70 of No Challenges Remaining, live from Charleston, South Carolina. I'm Ben Rothenberg. Joining me, nodding along, is my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Happy Charleston, Courtney. Happy Charleston. Always a fun stop on the tour, I think. We've been here for now three years in a row, I think, together. It's my both each of our third time before mm-hmm. coming here. Uh, it's a different sort of tournament. It's a definitely lower key one than I think pretty much all the ones we do together. Mm-hmm. At least it's a slow southern tournament. It's a nice, a comforting, genteel... genteel drawl to it, yeah. which I think is very comforting. I think a lot of the players enjoy, especially after Miami and yeah, me seriously. being in Miami. It's a nice cure for Miami. It's a much more approachable pace of life for me, anyway. No, absolutely. I think. I always say, and it, I think I've said it the last like three years running, like the first time that I go on site, the very first day of just even just walking through the gates and just being like, I wish every WTA tournament was like Charleston. Explain. It's just, I mean, obviously joint tournaments are their whole different beast and especially premier mandatory tournaments as well. But with respect to like just kind of the premier five tier, which Charleston is one. Charleston's just premier. I cannot. Okay, can I just go on a quick tangent right here and here's just what say I don't get. here's what here's my version. Here's Courtney's version of Mary Carillo's fun little game that she played on Tennis Channel called "Here's What I Don't Get." WTA, you need to fix this whole premier mandatory, premier five, premier international mumbo jumbo. It was so much easier to follow. We had tier one, two, three, four, and now it's like I I think even last week. Um, when Lindsay Davenport was commentating, she just came out and flat out admitted, like, I don't understand how the tournaments are grouped or which ones are which. And I write about them all the time. And outside of knowing and vaguely knowing, I think you, Ben, had to correct me last week about a tournament where I was like, wait, which one's premier mandatory? Like, you know, um, because I forgot that, like, Rome is not a premier mandatory, but Madrid is. Right. Because in my head, that's just not right. Um, but yeah, like it, it's just, it's confusing. So fix it, WTA. I think it's horrible from a branding perspective. I think the ATP did it the right way yeah. in terms of having masters, 500s and 250s. It's clean. It's clear. It says in the name, like, you know, it has meaning to the name, like yeah. 500 means something. You win it, you get 500 points. Casual fans can be like, okay, I understand why this is called this. And I understand why, why is, this is bigger than that. Why is this called the premiere? Yeah. Like, and I feel like for my, like, I know for myself, like writing about, like I do like the watch list every week where I have to pre- preview the tournaments that are going on, explain what the tournament is, who's playing them, et cetera, et cetera. Like I feel compelled every single time to explain like, okay, premiere mandatory yeah. is obviously right. understanding, but like to just the rest, the premiere five to premiere, even international tournaments. That just sounds like, other than the fact that I capitalize international because that is the ty- the 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 it ty- like, like every tennis tournament. every tournament's international. What's I mean, what's not international except for the ones that are in the states for us right. from SI. So it makes absolutely no sense. The title doesn't give away anything. It's dumb. I'm sorry. It needs to be fixed. It's bad for the WTA. So just to clarify, in case you were wondering or going to Google or the WTA, They're like what the now, hell are these guys talking about? The four there are four premier mandatories. There are Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid and Beijing, there are five Premier Fives, which are in no particular order. Wuhan is the new one. There is now Rome, uh, Canada, Cincinnati, and Doha are the five Fives. But then again, like, how are you supposed to know that? Like, at least, or just merge them. Like, the ATP doesn't have 
nine uh, masters. And just call them masters because people call it that anyway. Right, right. Someone asked Serena what it meant in Miami to win a masters. And they're referring to this, you know, yeah. Miami. That's fine. Yeah, no, it's just absolutely. It. Just, I mean, even, I mean, I don't know if you want to adopt, but like, you know, when you say like for like the, 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 the guys, right? Oh, Rafa and Novak now hold all nine Masters tournaments. It's like, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And then like for WTA, it's like, what does it mean to like, obviously there's only four mandatories, but um, we don't really, I mean, WTA doesn't really have the equivalent. No. And it, and even though there are certain accomplishments that are great, like it just becomes a really difficult thing to, like if somebody wins all five of the premier fives, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. But does anybody really, unless you're like a total WTA head, understand the significance of that? That that's not a mandatory. Right. Like you feel like if you explained it, you'd have to be like, okay, but, but that doesn't mean in, like somebody would be like, oh, but they didn't win Indian Wells. No, no, no. But that's a premier mandatory. I'm talking about the premier fives. Oh, what do you mean premier fives? Well, there are these five tournaments. Well, what about New Haven? Okay, that's a premier tournament. Wait, but you just said pre- it's who's on first, and it's dumb, and it's not comedic, and it's not funny. Fix. Fixed it, WTA. And a lot of the players refer to them by their prize money levels when they're talking about them casually because that's, especially ones who grew up doing challenges, this is a bit of a tangent we weren't intending on, <laughs> but if you grew up playing like 25s, like a 50K, then you go to play 100K maybe, and then you move to an international, which is like, used to be a 220, I think now it's a 235 or a 240, something like that. You call, I'm going to go play a 220 next week, and then I'll play like a 670 or whatever, Charleston, something like that. Yeah, so just put some number on it, make it work. Clean it up. Yeah. Because this is this is a premiere, which under all the old system is going to be a tier two, roughly. But nothing about premiere says, oh, pretty good, not all the way. Yep. Who fucking knows? Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just yeah. infuriating and it's it's confusing. And, you know, especially when, you know, sometimes we can gauge the level of a tournament by the field that, it's, that it draws, right? You just kind of assume. But look at sometimes, this. Sometimes, not always. But that's yeah. what I mean. It's like, look at this field in Charleston. It's a great field. Yeah. And it would make me think that it was a Premier 5. It's a great field. It's not as good as Dubai, which is also a Premier, mm-hmm. but it's much better than, say, Stanford. the Stanford field or the recent San Diego field, which mm-hmm. used to be a Premier, or Paris Indoors recently, which Tokyo. has had some down years. Tokyo was a Premier 5 back in the day. Back in the day, but I'm saying now. Now, we, yeah, we don't know what the field will look like yet, yet but yeah. Uh, Brisbane, which is a warm-up tournament, so Eastbourne, I mean, who, just what? fix it, just Stop. fix it. Yes, anyway, so we, we beseech you, it's good for you. So anyway, in conclusion, after two premiere mandatories, we're not a premiere, period. period. <laughs> <laughs> they just call it that. You have the premiere mandatories, the premiere fives, and the premiere periods. <laughs> that sounds like a new sponsorship opportunity for WTA if I ever heard exactly. one. Exactly. In this week's episode, we talk about the week that was in Miami and look forward to the week in Charleston and all the big movers and shakers therein. And we are joined by a guest in Madison Keys, who is one of the highest ranked teenagers in the WTA Tour and one of the big, next big American prospects and all those great things. And we talked to her about far less daunting topics than that. So we think you'll enjoy it. And if you enjoy our show, you can always Follow us along on Twitter. We are at at NCR underscore tennis. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever other podcast service you may like and leave us reviews and stuff like that. So let's go, let's backtrack a little bit to the previous premiere mandatory which was Miami, a.k.a. Key Biscayne, a.k.a. the Sony Open, a.k.a. the Lipton, which several... Old NASDAQ members, 100. The NASDAQ 100, which I liked as a name for that. Because it kind of made sense because I think 
the draw. I want to say they had a 100-player draw. I think they had like a special 100-player one. Now it's 96, but I think... Hmm. I might be completely making this up. But I think during the NASDAQ days, they tried to have it be a 100-player draw, which was sort of like a novelty draw size, which I kind of appreciated at the time. Like, why not? If NASDAQ wants to make a 100-player draw, let them. I em. guess. Who cares? But you got to standardize. Nah, I'm not for that. I'm, I'm for innovation and, and uh, gimmickiness in yes, all competition. You are. Yeah. Yes, you are. So, Courtney, what do you take away from Miami, from watching it from California? Watching it from California, Serena is very good at tennis. Yep. That's takeaway number one. Novak Djokovic is very good on hard courts, and we shouldn't panic and think that he sucks at tennis because he didn't, you know, make the finals of his two other tournaments yeah. to start the, the season. Yep. Um, Alexander Dolgopolov and Dominika Sabolkova are kind of my, outside of the big names, my kind of like spring hardcore MVPs. I think oh, they totally. Were, they, I think they, they were, you know, especially for Dolgopolov to get that ahead of a Chilich who was kind of a non-factor um, once the big tournaments rolled yeah, around. Yeah, it really was. So, you know, I mean, think about, like, how great Chilich was in February, and then, like, he, I mean, other than that set against Novak, I mean, he was just like... The Gopalov um, definitely, for me, gets, like, the silver medal for March, which mm-hmm. is a pretty big honor, I think. Me getting an honorary silver medal is a big <laughs> honor. But I'm saying, it's a pretty big thing when you didn't make a final of either one. I think he had maybe not ranking points. I don't know how that adds up comparing to, like, a Federer who made, you know... I don't know what he played better in Miami again. He made quarters, 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 and a final. Finals quarters. Probably had points. And winning ahead. Dubai, right? Not kind of Dubai. Just talking the, Mer- oh. the American Indian Wells Miami swing. I think Djokovic is the biggest gainer. And obviously, Djokovic said a lot. You can't knock the guy for winning two Masters titles. He won all the matches he possibly could, and he got some walkovers. Um, but but he got the walkovers. But he had to beat Andy Murray and Rafael Nadal. Not so, easy. Yeah. not easy. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say that he was, like, it was an easy draw or, like, oh, Novak was gifted it at all. He was going to beat K. Let's be very clear mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about Novak Djokovic this year? I think that it's still a really small sample size, and I think that we really have to stop and, like, you know, I was thinking about this this weekend, actually, because, um, you know, starting to kind of look back over the last three months and put everything into context. You know, you have a Djokovic who, you know, a month ago, before he set foot in North America, everyone's like, what's up with Novak? Boris sucks. Like, he's not, he's, you know, choking away leads and he's not showing up and he's, his overhead is worse than it's ever been. Yep. Like, whatever. And then he cool. goes... People love picking on that overhead. Oh, it's amazing because it's so bad. Did <laughs> yeah. you see some of the one, the one, like, two of the ones that he was, like, just absolutely horrific in the final against... Uh, he doesn't Nadal. admit it's bad. It's the thing. I've asked him about I it know. directly and he's like, I think it's pretty good. I was like, okay, Novak. Yeah, no. Disagree. <laughs> reject your your premise there, uh, Mr. Djokovic. But yeah, no, but, you know, we have to stop and think, like, he's played four tournaments in three months. Yeah. Four. The Aussie, Dubai, Indian Wells, Miami. Two, I mean, obviously, the Australian Open is huge, but the two that he lost to, lost to the, the eventual champions. Yeah. So he loses to Vavrinka in Australian Open, and he loses to Federer in the final in Dubai. Vavrinka deep in the fifth, by the way. Right, exactly. So, you know, very small margins. And then he comes, and he, I think that, you know, in India Wells, what was impressive is that he scrapped through those wins. And then when he was like a new man in Miami, it was like the old Djokovic. And it was just so incredible to me how bad he made Rafael Nadal look. I mean, like, in the final. Like, Rafa looked ordinary. And par- obviously, a lot of that has to do with Rafa did not play well. But Novak, every time you thought that Rafa was going to push, 
he just snuffed it out. And I think in my live blog, I, I kind of wrote, you know, you know, in Roth, in the second set, I was like, Roth is holding, you know, after the, the early break, Roth right. is, is holding, but it seems like every single service game that Rafa had, Novak made it a point to play some ridiculous point, you know, and to kind of show him like, I can still do that. Like, I still own you. Like, you're holding, but like, I'm outplaying you, buddy. And it was, I mean, it was great to see from for, from Djokovic, I think, that, the, you know, the tour needs him to be that guy. It was a very message-sending match. Yeah, it reminded it me that, like, that I think we talked about this before. I want to say when Novak came up on Take a Number that one time, mm. uh, when we picked number one, that Novak, for me, is still an unbelievably underrated player. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, he's just seen, like, he's so taken for granted what he does and how many matches he's won, and he's won six slams. Like, I realize it's not... Doesn't sound like a lot in this era, and that's fair because the curve, the bar has been raised by those two other guys. But Novak is still so good. He's still really, with the, I mean, over the, he's the best player, I would say, of this decade, just based on stats. I think based on his mm-hmm. 2011, it's debate between him or Nadal, but I think you can definitely give it to Novak. And he just, we take his winning for granted. We said it in Indy Wells. We were like, yeah, everything kind of broke his way. Novak won. He had a fairly easy draw in Indy Wells. I mean, he had Federer in the final. But he had to fight easy. himself. He had to fight himself. You know, right. that was which what was the formidable thing. And right. then in Miami, he had actually had a really tough draw. He played better. Um, yeah, Much he did. Better. He stepped up and he raised his level. And yeah, that Miami that, that Miami final, I think, is one that I'll, I'll definitely remember going forward, like when these two face off. Like that was kind of one of those like, oh yeah, that's what Novak can do. Yeah. Totally. And that's how Novak can frustrate Rafa. And even though he had won, you know, what was it, their last two meetings, like after the U.S. Open, Last year after the final, like you, you're kind of like, oh, those are those are after the U.S. Open. Rafa never plays as well. Yeah, things like that. Oh, it's the World Tour Finals. Rafa sucks there. Whatever. But um, and I will say, Novak did a bit of a similar effort last year in Monte Carlo, and he beat Rafa there, stunned him. Yeah, and it didn't build off it per se. I will also say, as people pointed out, if you want to say, oh, Novak is kind of like a number one. He can get number one soon. Novak hasn't won a slam in the last. Five or four slams, which is pretty rare for him, and so he could be a slamless, quote unquote, not really. No one talks about it that way. Number one, if he if he rolls off and wins uh, Roman Madrid, he could get to number one before the French Open, mm-hmm. um, and, and it'd be like, oh, I, I would love to see the reaction, like, oh, you're number one, you can't even win a slam. No, uh, yeah. but he wouldn't be technically the slam. No, no, no. It'd be, it'd be the kind of thing that like Lindsay Davenport was right, during right. 05 or something when she was number one and hadn't won a slam and four years or something like that or like calling him like a vulture yeah right like he's like he's like the ATP big four vulture exactly like he wins all the other titles but he never wins the slams it's like okay well you know it's not like the other titles are easy no but I just think in general just watching sort of Novak and this is not to slight the other people but I will say watching Novak especially in Miami the way the media areas are set up and this arena is the arena is kind of like a a bit of a fortress and the rest of the grounds are sort of all feeding into it. You yeah. can get it at all sides. Yeah. And to see him interact with the people at the perimeter of that, he was so good with the fans the entire time, like signing people's things through the fence and stuff, and you know, going out of his way, like walking back into the crowd to get some other part of the crowd and stuff. I think Novak's Everything, always been good at he's that. He's always been really, really good at that. And I realize Again, that's very not a underrated. Yeah, exactly. Because you saying. have like Rafa and, and like Federer, and everybody talks about, oh, they're so great with fans, but Novak is so good. Novak is. Because he smiles, he, and he's, like, and you know, like, genuine, Roger, yeah. Roger, I will say, like, having observed, like, Roger and Rafa, and Andy, I'll throw in as well, like, they definitely do everything, and it's, like, totally admirable what they do and how much they sign, 
But Novak has a charisma about the way he does it. He looks the fans in the eyes. He kind of smiles. He jokes with them. He teases them. And that's like, I mean, that's to me kind of on a different level because you're actually engaging as opposed to just here's some ink on your whatever that you shoved in my face. Like if I was a four-year-old kid going to a tennis tournament who knew nothing about tennis and like had some interaction with all four of those people, I think I would come come away liking Djokovic the most. Just based yeah, on that if, if it was like in a vacuum. Like, like if you like didn't if you have had no, no previous yeah. anything. That and that's right. probably, it probably shows whatever unfairness has been to Djokovic that we say like, oh, but you should be predisposed to thinking otherwise. But anyway, what we're saying is Djokovic is very good. On and off that's course. been a running theme and that we've had at, in, we've and no challenges before. remaining we that, that we just before. I think that Ben and I both think that like he's just so underrated on and, and he just and by us too I'm saying this to myself at some level yeah, being yeah. like keep remembering keep remembering that this guy is that good and and, he's, and like I said because people will be like oh you must hate him at all and better oh why are you always hating on Murray like not we're not saying the other guys are bad we're just saying that Djokovic is notably good at it you can compliment somebody it's not like there's only like it's not like a pie right you know what I mean where there's only so much and if I give you you know a 30% portion I've taken away 30% from somebody else it's like no it's just bar graphs like he's just really I mean he's great on this metric I think we hopefully um hopefully our listenership is is wise enough to know what we're talking about and that we aren't dealing finite pies. Who knows? Who knows? Based on Twitter reaction to some of the, the, like, random stats or facts that I was tweeting out, like, I'm like, how did you read into a basic fact that I'm somehow hating on... Who were the two? Novak and Serena. Those were the two two tweets I sent out, like, this this week, and that was like, whoa, like, that reaction is so not at all what I said. But whatever. We think Novak Djokovic is very good at tennis and a nice guy. We also think Serena Williams is very good at tennis. To segue to the ladies, uh, Serena Williams won her seventh Miami title, beating Maria Sharapova in the semis, 6-4, 6-3, after trailing 4-1 in the first set. And then she came back to beat Lina, 7-5, 6-1, after trailing 5-2 in the first set, reeling off, I think, at one point, or I can just say, it was 11 of the last 12 games she won to win that match. Uh, So, Courtney, this is after, early in the week, and I guess it's easier for people to not notice it when you're not there, Um, but early in the week, she was in some of the most dour moods I've ever seen her in, going into press, saying things like, flatly, like, straight face, like, yeah, I played like an amateur, I have to play a lot better to continue to succeed at the professional level. It's really hard... (laughs) I have to say, having been in a number of those Serena press conferences, yeah. it's really hard to keep a straight face. It's funny. You just want to laugh She's at her. She's so and be funny. Like, she's funny. Shit, she Serena. has good comedic timing when she wants to. Yeah, but like she's and just... she says things that like she's daring you to laugh. She's yeah, like, here's she, a ridic- she looks you dead in the eye. Here's a ridiculous statement. I will yeah. say, I will look you straight in the eye and say, Courtney, yeah. I played like an amateur, yeah. and I am not playing like a professional tennis player. If I'm going to want to continue to be a professional tennis player, I will need to play much better than that. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's fun. Anyway, but whatever. I, mean, I recommend that's... you try it. If you haven't had Serena stare at you and tell you that she's an amateur, I recommend <laughs> you try it. I think, you know, I mean, it, it's so much of it, and it's something that I think came out today in All Access Hour that I don't know if, if um, you were at the table. Yeah, you were. I was at Serena, um, yeah. But yeah, like, um, and it's always been a theme of hers, especially in the last two years since her comeback from, you know, the pulmonary embolism and all these sorts of things, that the mind game she plays with herself to make her think that she's not good at tennis right. and has to stay hungry and 
uh, want to work harder and improve and whatever when really, honestly, her B game could be 99% of... It's Nadal-esque. Yeah, you know, it's like insane. Except yeah. that with Rafa, there's kind of like this childlike... You're like, God, he really kind of does believe in that, doesn't he? Like, in a sense, it's like you believe he might actually be like willfully sort of, yeah, like childlike, mm-hmm. almost like willfully naive. Right. But at the same time, you also realize being around it enough that it's clearly tactical mm-hmm. for him. And clearly for Serena, it's completely that way. Yeah. And it's, just, and it's, it's also perfectionism in a way that Nadal doesn't have. Right. I mean, Serena really is a much tougher grader of herself than Nadal is, I think. This, yes, Rafa's much kinder to himself yeah. than Serena is yeah. um, in terms of assessing their games. But, yeah, I mean, once again, you know, it was, I don't know how, I mean, it's Serena in women's tennis right now, and really you could argue her entire career um, in a lot of ways. Her better is just better than everybody else's better. Her best, yeah. You know, and I just think, like, if she plays better, like, than whatever it is that she's playing at, it's going to be better than whatever you're doing. No matter what you do, her better is better than your better. So, like, what's the point? Not the what's the point. I mean, I'm saying that very cynically, obviously. But, like, it was incredible to me to watch her in specifically that Sher- those Sherpa and Lina matches to just elevate. And you're looking and you're just like, Maria's not playing bad. No. Lina is not, Lina, like, didn't play a poor match at all. She was very opportunistic to build the 5-2. You know, a few key points here or there, but those are understandable errors that can go, you know, one way or the other. Um, she played right. She probably could have served a little bit bigger. That was my only thing. But... Bad serving day, and she still won that easily. No, I'm just talking Lina. about Lina. Oh, sorry. Lina didn't serve well. Neither did Serena, though. No, no, I, I, I know. Yeah. I'm saying that, like, though, that was the only tactical complaint right. that I had about what Lina did, was that she... I think she was taking a little bit too much off of her serve, and Serena was crushing it on the first. So just go big, and then just understand that your second's going to get crushed because it's going to get crushed anyway. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so yeah, just to see her flip that switch, and just to see her just completely outplay quality tennis players who were playing well. I was once again, I walked away impressed, and it's always a thing with Miami because we don't see her for so long. Yeah. So it it seems like you know when she does that in Madrid or not Madrid, like in Rome, and then goes on to win the French, you're like, well, yeah, because this is what we've been seeing for the last, like, you know, whatever few weeks. But with Miami, since she takes the the, the kind of brief hiatus, skipping Indian Wells and stuff, um, it just felt like, oh, yeah, you, you are good. It's interesting you say it that way, because it has, that is a recurring Serena calendar choreography of her sudden Miami rebirth of Serena, which is a ridiculous narrative, especially when you're already number one in the rankings. <laughs> you shouldn't be coming out and of nowhere to win generally, a tournament. generally, I mean, not even generally, but like, unanimously, the best yeah. woman, the best female, yeah. like, there's no question. This time it was a little different. It's similar to last year because she came in having lost, not won her last two tournaments in Australia mm-hmm. and the Middle East mm-hmm. last year, Doha, this year, Dubai. And yeah, she came in and just, yeah, very much that, like, reasserted herself and past years, before 2013, sorry, before 2012, she hadn't transitioned that to the clay well. She hadn't been a consistent clay performer. The last two years she has been. She's defending champion twice over at Roma and Madrid. So we'll see how she continues that and if she can keep up that sort of clay consistency and the whole winning 10 titles thing she did last year. Is that fair to expect? Probably not. Just because I don't expect her to play that many if she keeps winning. I mean, I think at some point... She's going to be, she's turning 33 this year. 
I think at some point she's got to start scheduling a little more selectively. How many matches? What does that she mean plays. to you? Like, what what tournaments does she knock out? Like Stanford. Um. Oh yeah, Stanford not, for sure. She shouldn't she have played she Charleston. She didn't play Stanford. Uh, Charleston. Charleston's interesting because she doesn't uh, play any well, so I think the back-to-back isn't mm-hmm. as bad. And I think she likes Charleston a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say maybe knock out, let's say, uh, Rome, maybe knock out um, Beijing. I mean, things like that. She played Bostad last year. That's a contract thing, but I don't expect that to stay in her calendar too does much the longer. WTA, and I'm asking this because I genuinely don't know the answer. Um, does the WTA have that? Oh, I don't think it does have that loophole where if you have basically established certain milestones that you can opt out of mandatories oh, the way, way Federer, Federer and Nadal can? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I will say, though, Serena has not played Montreal in a very, very, very long time. This is a Montreal yeah. year, so she probably won't play Montreal. Um, she's always played Toronto, never Montreal, which is kind yep. of weird. Um, so, yeah. So, we'll see how she does anyway. That'll be a over a long-running thing. But in the meantime, Serena said... Hello, remember me? I'm still the best. Deal with it. And, and everybody ha- was like, we didn't say you weren't. <laughs> like, I don't know why you feel like you have a chip on your shoulder. We're all kind of like, not worshipping at your feet, but I mean, I think everybody's just kind of like, you're really, you're the number one, dude. Yeah. And no one's questioning that. And, you know, and especially uh, right now with Azarenka out injured, I mean, kind of, you know, Miami not to have a Vika there. I mean, did it feel... Different. I mean, I thought about it a little bit during like the Sharapova and and, and Lena matches that you know, like I mean, maybe it, it really is shaping out to be that the only one that seems to be able to challenge Serena is Vika. Right now, and yeah, I mean, right now Vika is so down. Um, I do think there was some optimism um, from people, observers, fans, uh, everybody that Serena versus Lena was going to be a cool, exciting match, and it was mm-hmm. until Serena flipped into her A game. But even then, she flipped into her A game, and it was just it became like almost kind of like what happens when Federer dominates in that way, where it's like it's still fun to watch. It's still fun to watch. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like you know, we've talked about this before. Players who dominate, and you're just like, oh, this is horrible. Like it's this is actually not very fun to watch at all. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I think that that's yeah. why I think the women's final was definitely better than the men's final. Um, not just in terms of like dramatic tension and, um, you know, at least both players were playing well. One was just remarkably better than the other. So we are jumping into the studio again just one day later for an addendum because tonight Serena Williams lost for just the fifth time in the last 12 months to Jana Shepalova of Slovakia. Ranked number who, 78, 20-year-old. Who I'm pretty sure I had never seen play before. Right. I'm, is it embarrassing to admit that? I don't no. think that I've ever seen her play before. Seen her name in Draws. I've yes. Seen, I'm, aware I'm familiar. Of the name. Like I would know, but yeah. I even kind of knew what she looked like. I knew she looked like she was like a little kid. Okay. But yeah, I did not know much about her, and she went out there, raced out to a five-love lead over Serena while we were still out at Yankovic Petkovic versus Hubert Raymond doubles, which was which really cool. Which was amazing. Which was pretty great, and then we were like, oh wow, five-love. Um, Serena, we. Uh, Courtney, you're not Serena, you're Courtney. Um, I am not I am not the one. You get that a lot, though. I do. We look a lot alike. People are like, oh my god, are you Serena? We, you're like, we look a lot alike. Our demeanor is quite similar, and I wear a lot of Nike. Sometimes, Courtney will, if a kid comes up to her and it's like, Serena, will you sign this? Courtney will just sign it, Serena, because she's about making dreams come true. I'm about inspiring generations. Courtney, even when it was Love 5, though, we were talking, and you were pretty sure Serena was not only going to win, but win that set. And she came close. She reeled off four straight games to get back to 4-5. Had break point to get to five all. 
Um, but just the finish on these escapes wasn't there tonight for her, and she lost. She did. And what does this loss... First of all, how... I said it was shocking, and tweets and people were like, it wasn't shocking because she was hurt. No. It had nothing to do with the injury. It had nothing to do with the injury, the extenuating circumstances. Because if you had told us at 5 p.m. that Serena was going to lose to Yana Shapovalova, we would have been shocked. If you were to tell that to Yana Shapovalova, she would have been shocked. Yeah. Uh, the, The youngster came into press and kind of was very candid and said, I had no belief that I was going to win this match going into it. Uh, I built my five love lead and I was like, huh? And, uh, you know, and, and it's, uh, that, which is an understandable, you know, uh, thought process. But you hear so many players say, like, no, you have to believe. It's like, this kid came in and was like, I did not believe at all. I was yeah. serving like crap during the warm up and I was nervous and I had my shoulder hurt and like whatever. But, um, you know, is it a shocking loss? Of course it's a shocking loss. I don't think that you go from spending so much time and really extolling the virtues of Serena Williams and, and really understanding how much she's done over the last two years and, and the consistency. I mean, yeah. rem- let's not forget, she lost four matches last year. And four matches a year before that, too. Yeah. I mean, like, she does not lose often. She definitely doesn't lose often to somebody ranked outside of the top 50, let alone top 30. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a shocking loss. And, and um, But I think that... For me, my reaction, especially after she came into press, which you can talk a little bit about, Ben, my reaction was, um, after it happened, this was due. She was due for a loss like this. She because, hit a wall. Yeah, because, um, as she said in press, which I'll just get into really quickly, Go for it. she said that, um, you know, she was fatigued, and then initially, initially when she said that, it sounded, you know, you're inclined to blanch a little bit, because you're like, um, girl, you didn't play any wells, like... You know, you didn't play, you know, you lost early in Dubai. Like, you haven't played a lot this year. How can you say you're fatigued? But Serena, to her credit, said, no, it's not that. I do the turnaround from Miami to Charleston well. The problem is, is that I've played so much over the last two years. And practiced so and much. And practiced so much. I think that's also a very good point. Um, just all the training that she was just, I mean, the words that she used was like, I was, I was dead. I'm fatigued, you know, and effectively she hit the wall. And, that is so understandable, and I have been waiting for her to say that for the last six months because given what she's done through the 2012 season after she lost to Rosano, number 111, which was her first worst loss from this yeah. um, at the French Open, she's been incredible and phenomenal, and she's done something, and you can talk about this, but she's done something very different than what she's always been known for, which is that she played a lot. She played so many tournaments. I'm Moritoglu, that was really his vision for her tennis to play quantity and have that bring quality along with it. I mean, the kind of tournament she was winning, she, in the last, I think she won 11 titles in 2013, which is crazy because there were a lot of years where she barely played 11 tournaments, where she was relatively kind of healthy most of the year. She is doing things like going to and bestod. doing to Bastad, <laughs> to put the effort in to pull off something like a Rome-Madrid double. To win the Olympics and then fly to Stanford. And win Stanford. And win Stanford. I mean, these are, it's not just like the quantity of matches, but these long stretches yeah. where she was playing like back to back to back to back tournaments, major tournaments, big tournaments, and winning. Um, I, I mean, I, Ben knows that I spent a lot of time this evening counting up matches and things, but since the beginning of 2012, 149 matches. And 20 titles. That's a lot. That's a lot. A lot of stuff. So, this was due to catch up to her. Agreed. The question is, was this a one-time wall and she gets up off the wall? How does she, now that she's sort of reached her limit, she's found her limit, and there's some school of thought that says, you know, you got to work as hard as you can to find out where that limit is, 
and why you sell yourself back. short and then dial it back, which I think more Tagalu had been sort of searching for that limit in his philosophy towards this. Um, now that the limit has been found, how does Serena adjust? I'm guessing she's not going to play Fed Cup next week, even though she said in all access that she was planning to do it. I am guessing she'll probably play Real Madrid and the French. I'm sure she'll play the French, but Real Madrid probably both still on the table, defending both. We'll see. If she like wins Madrid, I think maybe she, she doesn't Rome. play Rome. I think she Something like that. Rome, yeah. So um, we'll see. But obviously winning Madrid is a, a big step, considering that she has not won the majority of her tournaments this year, which is a rare thing for Serena recently. No, definitely. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely of the camp of, I, I, I feel a bit of kind of sympathy, empathy, understanding of where she is right now. And I do think there are a lot of times where Serena is kind of falsely positive or falsely spin, you know, kind of like spin doctors out of control where she spins horrible losses into like, no, but I feel really good about my game. And it's, this loss is really good for me. And you're kind of like rolling your eyes. This one I think was, I think that, you know, she came she to Charleston. She owned this one. She owned this one. And I think that she came to Charleston. She played the match. She didn't tank it. I think that she really Definitely just couldn't not. find the solutions. She was trying different things. And Sepalova, let's be clear, played a great match. Um, she was, she was, she stayed with it. She had her game plan. Once Serena kind of came up a little limp on her, her leg, she was hitting great drop shots and kind of hitting passing shots and lobs, making Serena move. So she was, she was solid. But, you know, I, I hear people kind of say, like, oh, why don't you give credit to Sepalova? I'm totally giving credit to Sepalova. Totally. But let's not forget that Serena Williams is, at her best, the best tennis player in the women's game. This is someone who, in her, pre- in her previous match, won 11 of the last 12 games against the number two player in the world. And in the one before that, beat, you know, yeah, yeah beat down battled. number, or four-time slam champ. Yeah, Maria but like Sharapova. came back from like four, one four down and then two, oh, two down to like go ahead and win. So it's, uh, you know, we expect more from Serena. She clearly, obviously expects more from herself in a match like this. But I think that getting the early loss, having what will effectively be about a month, of rest um, until until Madrid rolls around um, is good, and uh, you know I mean put I mean I don't think that it's spin, but think about it this way: a rested and remotivated Serena, theoretically, because the French Open is coming up. Yeah, and she wants to defend it. Um, a rested and remotivated Serena hitting the clay court season in a month—that's a worrisome prospect. So looking forward past the next season, I would be surprised if in 2015, which sounds really far away, if she did something like play Dubai. I think she's going to go back to what she did a few times, where play Australia, take that whole stretch off, not like not practicing, but take the whole time in lower mode till Miami, and then revamp a little bit. And Madrid didn't used to be a tournament she ever used to play, so it's a relatively new part of the calendar there. Um, so we'll see. I think she's going to learn from that, because she's going to have to keep slowing down a little bit as she gets older, she is going to be 33 this year, which even though 30 is the new 20 or whatever in WTA, still... 33 is 33. 33 is 33. <laughs> and I think that the other thing, too, is that to the extent that Serena's chasing records, to the extent that she's trying... That's about the slams. That's peak at the slams, yeah. And so it's not about winning freaking Bastad. I mean, yeah. that that's a personal challenge, I think. Personal challenges are over. And, and a personal paycheck for exactly. Bastad in particular. For sure, yeah, definitely, with the, with the, the appearance fee. But... Um, at this point, it, it'll be interesting to see how she recalibrates. But I think that her comments uh, during her press conference of kind of saying, like, this was a wake-up call were very interesting. Like, this loss was a wake-up call because I need to rejigger my schedule. 
you know, training is obviously really important, but breaks, she's a rat. yeah, no, I mean, she, she needs to rejigger her schedule. That seemed to be where her head was at, um, after the match. And so, and grant, I mean, she was into the press conference about three minutes after the match ended. So she was definitely already thinking all this going into this tournament. And she said she was tired in Miami, uh, which is a, again, a worrisome prospect because of what she did in the semifinals and finals and, and obviously winning her seventh title there. But in the long run, I think this is good for her. I think that it's too early to judge what it means um, until we see what she does on the clay and uh, on grass. So, Courtney, we talked a bunch about the champions of Miami who lifted the trophy, which, knock, knock, Indian Wells, is liftable in Miami. One get a new thing, trophy, Indian Wells. Yeah, I guess we can just do a general... Before I get to the other, what I was going to say, general comparison, pros and cons of the event. From afar, are there things you like more about Miami than Indian Wells? And I can talk about what I saw on site. Um, I mean, the, obviously the, the fans were great. I mean, just having that kind of crowd noise um, during the matches. The night sessions seemed to be kind of like a steamier thing, yeah. you know, on TV in Miami than they seemed like in Indian Wells. Um, Indian Wells has a little bit more of a clinical, uh, uh, sterile, sterile yeah. uh, feel about it. But no, because I, A, I couldn't watch barely any WTA matches, which is something we should talk about in a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about it now. Okay, so obviously, well, not obviously, there was a big kind of issue, kerfuffle, on uh, social media mainly, um, about how the WTA was just airing a minimal amount of matches, or the tournament, I should say, whoever, TV, whatever, that there were TV issues about specifically the WTA, and then that kind of bled into ATP in the second week with ESPN deciding not to air Federer Nishikori live, but on tape delay, which was a huge issue. Um, Especially because that result wound up being noteworthy. Exactly. And who, I mean, if you're America and you decide not to put Roger Federer, who's playing an American tournament in a night session, on t- live TV, I don't, I mean, what hope does the sport have to gain traction in, in, in this country? Yeah. And then on top of that, there was also issues with the doubles final, the Bryans going for their second, going for the Indian Wells Miami double, things like that. The doubles final wasn't aired anywhere. The TVs were off. Hingis and Siki also not aired doubles right. final wise, which was... Cameras were covered. Yeah. So, you know, some so, so some TV issues, but let's talk about the WTA issues, Ben, because you wrote an article for the New York Times and spoke with Stacey Allister, CEO of the WTA, to discuss, which I thought was really interesting to kind of get, A, first of all, the background in terms of how these TV deals work, how decisions are made in terms of how many matches are aired on either TV or streaming, Uh um, and then whether or not the WTA is satisfied with Miami in terms of the deal that has been struck there. I think first, I don't want to recap the entire article here, so if you haven't read the article, do so. It's, I think it sort of sums up things fairly thoroughly in the space allotted. But yeah, I mean, basically, ATP controls the broadcasting production side at all combined tournaments, besides the slams, and all the ATP That's, WTA the, that's the world feed. Right, the world feed. And WTA essentially has to, through Perform, has to pay them to produce a certain number of matches. The minimum for a size a premier mandatory to use our old famous phrase is twenty and matches twenty matches right and Indian Wells um, tournament pitched in a bunch more money to make it a much more level thing I think Indian Wells off the top of my head had fifty five close to that WTA matches Miami said no we're not going to pay for more women's matches why would we do that and Miami we, by Miami we mean the tournament. the tournament I mean I think it's important yeah. to kind of delineate 
what WTA's role versus tournament's role versus then what ESPN and Tennis Channel end up deciding to do. Right. But ESPN and Tennis Channel essentially just take what's produced. They don't. They weren't putting their own money in it and saying, go do these matches, go make them. Obviously, they pay for rights to the event, but they weren't paying for production fees in terms of picking which matches, the way that the WTA was doing. And you look confused. Yeah, I'm a little bit confused. Sorry. ESPN has a say about what matches they want. Well, no, well, ESPN, and then they provide ESPN, their commentators and ESPN they provide their own. Only, no, they picked the matches they do, but they weren't um, going out there and saying, hey, cameras on Svitolina Bouchard. Oh, right, right, yeah, no, of course. And yeah. ESPN pays for what ESPN airs. Right, and they were just, this term, they were only doing quarterfinals on, and right. all those were yeah, produced yeah, yeah. for no, both sides. That's fine, yes. Um, Tennis Channel also didn't have a whole lot of say in which matches got produced either, so there was some problem consternation when it looked like initially Venus versus Casey Delacqua would not be produced. Eventually it was. Um, how that happened is not entirely clear, but it got changed. And, yeah, so basically the broadcast, Stacy and WTA want the, uh, while they're in this position of no power, really, with having the ATP control what gets picked, they would like to see the tournaments chip in more, and Stacy suggested also, which I don't think made it in the article, suggested that she would like to see the host broadcasters, meaning like Tennis Channel, chip in more too if they want to see other matches as well and i mean the upshot being that the reason why there aren't wta matches on air uh in miami is that no one wants to pay for them yeah and that that that, and i think that one of the interesting quotes that came out of your article ben was from the tournament director um adam barrett who said you know we do 20 and that's the minimum that's what we're going to do and and you know we don't have incentive to produce more and i think that that kind of, to me, highlighted another article that came out during Miami, which was about speculating whether or not Miami would continue to stay, the tournament would stay in Miami, because it's been, there's a lot of litigation going on in terms right. of um, local politics, local politics about getting Crandon Park, the site, renovated, because if you go there, it, boy, I mean, talk about two sides of a coin going from Indian Wells to Miami. You know, um, it's just, it's really run down. It's very 70s. It needs a kind of complete revamp. I will say, it had a little bit of a fresh coat of paint this year. It looked nicer than it did two years ago. That's good. But still, going from Indian Wells to there, it's just, and Miami says that, like, they, Miami says, or the tournament, Adam Barrett, says, we have a huge disadvantage in facilities. We want to upgrade. We can't. We want to. Yep. And And they say it's not a money issue for them on the facilities. It's just a politics issue. Yeah, no, and that's brutal. You know, I mean, I mean, you look at, like, the Sony Open, you know, the... I mean, it's just, it just has been surpassed by tournaments like Shanghai from the guys' side and the masters' side, you know, Indian Wells, uh, Madrid, uh, you know, a lot of the other masters' joints um, have kind of left it in the dust. I mean, Serena made $787,000 winning the Sony Open and Flavia Panetta made a million winning Indian Wells. And that's just because Indian Wells is just like, fuck you. Yeah. We're going to... I mean, in, and that, co- that coincides with the TV deals. That's just... Larry Ellison and Indian Wells saying, you know what, we have no idea whether or not we get an actual return on investment or not on producing 50 plus WTA matches. We don't care. We This is how a tournament should be run. And because they're able to make those decisions that are not tied necessarily to market, like it just makes everybody else look bad, specifically Miami. Because, because they're right up against each other. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's, the kind of, it's unlucky scheduling for Miami on that sense because... If they were paired with someone like Cincy, they would not feel quite as 
um, dwarfed. Yeah. Really. So yeah. So but Miami, going back to the previous point, I think we covered the TV stuff there, but Miami does have the crowd as a huge advantage. I really cannot overstate how much better I think the Miami crowd is than the Indy Wells crowd. It's really diverse. It's much younger. It's very loud. It's very passionate. There were still a, there were like a thousand people there for the end of Venus versus Sibolkova, which was after midnight, which is a lot of people after after midnight, mm-hmm. and they were loud. Yeah. Like every single person there was making a lot of noise. The volume, the passion for that was there. And in Indy Wells, a lot of times you feel like you're playing in the desert, and there are some observers. Yeah, Indian Wells always has this this sense of like, entertain me. Yeah, like that's the mentality from the crowd. Yeah, exactly. It's like I've paid my ticket. I'm sitting here, you know, kind of like the scene that's coming to mind is like Gladiator. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, go kill yourselves, and I'm gonna sit here and eat grapes, and you know, and I want to be entertained. I'm gonna sit here and eat, and I will, and I will, I will, I will offer a soft applause. When something of marginal importance happens, unless John Lesnar makes the semis and I'll get loud, and it gets America. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and I, I do think that I do sense that. I definitely do sense yeah. that. But um, but you know, I mean, just going off one other observation about Indian Wells and Miami, one thing that they did in, did both have in common. We had this entire North American swing. Two of the biggest tournaments of the of the year was their signature match. Quality was not de- quality play was definitely not good in Indian Wells. Mm-hmm. I completely say that outright. I think the conditions there, players, and we've said it's this tough. for years. They just don't get used to it in time, and it's not conducive to really aesthetically pleasing tennis. I do think there were some matches in Miami that were good, like the one that pops out to me is Venus Sibokova. At least the second two sets. Of yeah, that, no, that was that a great, great match. That was a great match. That a great, great battle. Um, but also, I think uh, Tomic Nieminen will go down the record books. <laughs> No, maybe not. Sarcasmo. To just, just touch on that briefly, Tomic, sure. Bernard Tomic set a record um, for the shortest. I, it's harsh to name him because he should be the one getting the record for winning fastest <laughs> of all time. But it goes to Tomic, who was the fastest ever loser, losing a complete match, 6 0 6 1, in 20 min, 28 minutes, 20 seconds. I remember one time when I was playing a tournament when I was 13 or 14, and I was not good, let's be clear. <laughs> and. I lost six zero six zero in twenty nine minutes, and I thought that was terrible because I'd never seen a match last twenty nine <laughs> minutes, and that's without like sitting down on changeovers or anything. But it is with getting your own balls and stuff. And I was bad, and this kid was good, and I was terrible. Um, but yeah, I lasted longer than Bernard Tomic playing a regulation match in front of hundreds of spectators. Uh, what do you make of the latest uh, stop on the rail line that is the tank engine? I mean, I think that it's. I think on one hand, I think that it's an unfair. Uh, to lump this in with all of his tank jobs, okay. you know, I think that that's you know he's coming off double. Job, I, sh- I let me explain. Um, I you know he's coming off of double hip surgery. It's an IMG tournament. He is an IMG client. Um, he you know trains in Miami. It's, it doesn't cost him. You know, I mean, he was kind of already there anyway. Ish, I, I do believe he's in Sarasota. Um, maybe you go and you you you. You know, obviously, I think most people will say clearly he was undercooked and he should have pulled out. Um, and um, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I also do, in the back of my mind, think that there is a, an argument of like, okay, you take the court and you see how you do. And you play. And, you know, and but I think that the minute that he realized he could not compete to win this match, I think you do pull the ripcord because it's embarrassing. It's not unlike, you know, with Vika 
like I felt like, okay, take the court, play to see how you might feel. Against Lauren Davis. Against yeah. Lauren Davis and Nia Wells. But then once you realize, if you're sitting on a changeover telling your coach you're in fucking pain, you pull the ripcord. You've done 0-5. Yeah. You say, okay, I went out, I tried, pull the card. No one's going to really hate on you. If they it's, do hate on you, you should know that you made the right choice right. anyway. Exactly. So with Tom, like, it's like, yeah, it was. It ended up being a complete tank job. I assume you – I didn't see – I mean, I saw a match point. I didn't I saw, see the rest of it. I saw a few points of it. I talked to a lot of people who watched it. Yeah. And, yeah, it was apparently a mess. And yeah. he just wasn't moving, wasn't – and was bailing out of rallies midway through. Like, if the rally was going, like, six, seven shots, he'd be like, whoop, into the fence. Yeah. Or something. And, yeah, so, anyway, Bernie be Bernie. Uh, probably not. <laughs> he was ranked 73rd right now. I don't think it's worth spending too much time analyzing his first yeah. round loss in Miami. But, yeah, it was it was a noteworthy match. The other match that probably not fair to lump in with it, they got a lot of people talking, was the Sloan Stevens match that happened in the – Third round against Caroline Wozniacki. Wozniacki, by the way, had a pretty solid Miami for herself. Uh, Caroline beat Sloan 6-1-6-0, and then... Third round or fourth round? Third round. Okay. And then went on to beat Lapchenko by the same scoreline, I believe, next okay. round. Um, Courtney, what did you make of that match? And what does it say? Should Sloan... What does Sloan take for a match where she only wins one game? considering who she has established herself to be at this point. Let the record reflect that I am just shrugging. She is shrugging. Okay. I mean, I think that... I can verify that, that. You know, this is what we talked about. I mean, it happened in the Middle East. It, ha- she, it happened here in Charleston last year when she lost, like, whatever, love and one to Bethany, or love and two, maybe, to Bethany. Two in love, yeah. Uh, two in love. I mean, these matches happen with her. It's a problem. It's embarrassing to her as a competitive athlete to step on court and to put forth that poor of a performance because it wasn't like Caroline was playing all that great. I mean, Caroline was playing well. Caroline but it was, well. You know, and, and, and Sloan's never taken a set off Caroline. She's just a weird matchup that you don't think she should be at a disadvantage on given her power, Sloan. Yeah. But she's now falls 0-4 to Caroline, hasn't come close really to really making it a match. It was just an embarrassing effort. And, and the problem with it is, look, those matches happen in the shadows when no TVs are on or right. like whatever, but those matches happen at in Miami night, night session, session with Aaron on tennis channel with Mary Criddle, Lindsay Davenport and Renee Stubbs commentating. And they're taking, you know, they're calling you out. Carrillo was like, I don't know whether she's having fun or she even wants to do this. Is this, is, she, is this enjoyable or is she just too cool for school? You know I mean? And that is always really the question that that comes with Sloan, and I remember thinking after that match, as I was kind of writing it up, like, is there, just a rhetorical question, Okay. but is, I mean, you can answer it, okay. <laughs> um, but is there a worse, like, kind of charge to levy against an athlete that they're just gutless, or heartless, or like, you know what I mean? Like, you watch WTA, right? One of the biggest problems, not problems, but one of the biggest issues with WTA is like these women want it so badly that they play so horribly because they get so tight. We saw that today. Today <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> when Alina Slavitalina playing uh, Yarmila Gaidasova. Great, great match that no match. one saw. It was a, no one saw it. Great match. High quality in the second and third sets, but amazing drama because it was just so like Svitolina wanted it <laughs> and you knew. And Yarka wanted it too. And Yarka wanted it too. But, um, but yeah, they want it so badly that they, they, they go kind of crazy. And then you have Sloane, who just sometimes just doesn't look like she can be bothered. And that's just, this isn't a hobby. 
You're a professional athlete. Slunky. You're paid millions of dollars a year. Sloan can get very passive looking on court, and she can get a little bit, yeah. I think what's interesting about Sloan, and she's obviously an unbelievably skilled athlete and player, and very fast. A lot of people say she's the fastest player in WTA Raw, raw talent. She's, yeah. It's amazing. She's not, at this point so far, and obviously she has a few big wins. So this is not entirely a blanket statement, but she's not a great gamer all the time. She's like, would be an unbelievable tennis player in like a tennis combine in terms of like skills contest. Mm. That kind of thing she could do really well. But in, just in terms of the ability to f- compete and dig out matches... It's below where her physical skills are and her and her mental skills are. I mean, she's not always a bad point constructor of these things, but when she checks out, it can be bad. And this and this what made this one different, like you said, it was the stage. The crowd was full for this match, and they were just like, "What is going on here?" There was like, and they were unlike Indy Wells, I will say, they were positive the entire way. They were like, "Come on, son, you can do it. You got this, Sloan." When she was like, clearly didn't got it, <laughs> and just was. In a tailspin, the crowd was very supportive. They're a much more positive, upbeat crowd. Um, so that's another check for Miami. But yeah, this was a messy match. And I think that Sloan has had has explained away these these losses and talked about a little bit the struggles here in her all-access in Charleston as well. Just saying, you know, preaching patience for herself, basically. Saying, I'm still young. I've got a lot of years ahead of me. I'm not too worried about results right now. But at some point, there needs to be, hopefully people who would like to see her do well and to make the most of her potential, some more sense of urgency, I think, or, or sense of disappointment or um, dissatisfaction, let's say, to- with her results. Because right now she seems relatively satisfied, I guess, is maybe... That's what she says. I don't word. think that she actually feels that way. Yeah. I mean, those are... That's what she's are, projecting anyway. Yeah, but I, I think that with Sloan... Saying, you know, preaching patience and being like, I've got 10 more years on tour. Like, you know, like, I have plenty of tennis in me. It's not the, you know, that is something that I would not mind hearing from a Madison Keys after she's devastated by a loss or Jeannie Bouchard who competes very well, but she's still going to end up losing sometimes or Laura Robson who fights and competes, but just sometimes just can't get it done. You know, that whole young generation who... I don't question their competitive nature. Right, like so, a we who's all competitive. Right, yeah. so so I kind of would, I don't mind hearing the balanced side of saying, like, I know I'm patient, I have to, like, do it. So with, but with Sloan, because you do have doubts about her competitive nature, for her to kind of give herself a pass, that just seems like it's just enabling herself. It's, it's She's building her own safety net. Yeah. Um, and that's where you start to worry because she's absolutely right. There's more tennis in her. There's 10 more years, but this is now, you know, she was saying that last year. She was saying, you know, like after the Aussie open and, you know, and, and this year she hasn't had as good a year, obviously to, to start. And, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm still like ranked, whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you understand how rankings work, right? Like your ranking will end up dropping. If you like hold the the same results that you had last year from here on out, your ranking will drop because these three months have not been great. Yeah. So it's it's almost like, yeah, I'm still ranked number 18. It's like, yeah, now, but you're you behind. Were, you were also ranked number 11 in October. So <laughs> you've slipped. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, that's probably enough on Sloan for now. But she, we'll see. I think she's in an interesting interesting period of her of her career right now in terms of this is a bit, not make or break, but it's a bit put up or shut up to use a different cliche. I mean, she's got to start winning more matches and taking on these big stages and... Winning and obviously she had a pretty good ending. Well, she made quarters, was in the third set against Panetta, so can't knock it too hard. But you know, 
them the breaks to judge on the most recent stuff. And we'll see how she does in Charleston. She plays the aforementioned, really wants it, Alina Svitolina next. Alina Svitolina. Alina Svitolina. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we'll see. I mean, it's, I think Renee Stubbs kind of said it best when she was kind of doing the, the color commentary on that, that Sloan Waz match where she's just like, and I think I, this is definitely how I feel about it a lot of times. It's frustrating to see her play like that when you see that there's like she is just gifted in a way that 99% of the other women on the tour are not. Yeah. And so you just don't want to see somebody who has that like underachieve. But then you also think, well, maybe, you know, those things that are her deficit, which is like not having the fight is, I don't know. Balance is the equation. I think you can teach forehands and backhands. I can't. Think, I don't think you can teach wanting. Meanwhile, seg- quick segue to just won't say much more with this. Shout out to Dominika Sibilkova, speaking of first quarter MVPs, definitely one um, who made a top 10 for the first time this week and made semis in Miami. So good honor. And yeah, so we'll leave Miami at that. Any other Miami thoughts? No. <laughs> okay. Let's move on briefly to Charleston, where we are here. Beginning of the clay season on the weird green clay, which is really more grayish in person, if you were wondering. Uh, if you've seen pictures of it, you already know that. What do you make, Courtney, of what you expect from this week, I guess, or what, what this week means? Is it a high-stakes week for anybody? No. Even for Serena, if she loses, I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, Somewhat high-stakes maybe for Yelena, because she made finals last year. It was high-stakes for Vugale, who already lost. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, lost to Ayla Tomjanovic. Um, yeah, no, not really. I mean, I kind of feel like, like, I love this tournament. It's fun. It has some great players, you know, and, um, there should be some, some good matches and stuff, but, you know, this is kind of the thing that you do get the sense of, you know, in Indian Wells, which is that when Serena's not there, you feel like it's open and maybe sometimes it's a little bit more exciting because there are some more question marks. Yeah. And with Serena here, two-time defending champion in Charleston, three times straight she's won it. The three years, the three times, the last three times she's played it, mm-hmm. um, dating back uh, to her title in two thousand eight, and then two thousand eleven or two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. Um, it's hard to think she's gonna lose here to anybody. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But like, yeah. So that kind of takes a little bit of kind of the 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 drama out of things. And I think it is a one-off because it is the only. American clay court tournament is the only green clay tournament. So it's hard to read too much into this. I mean, obviously, Serena won it a couple times that didn't, early on in her career, that didn't translate at all to red clay success. Right. Um, and other players have won that, too, and had it not translated. Although some have. I mean, Justine Anna won this tournament at some point. Sabine Lisicki won this tournament. <laughs> Lisicki did win it. It's green. She got confused. She thought it was grass. Um, yeah, Lisicki. Yeah, Lisicki. Lisicki's had a... Uh, Lisicki has had a uh, rough... We haven't talked about her much. We could very briefly here, because she is here. She was a seed. She was at All Access. Uh, Lisicki won won the doubles title in Miami with Martina Hingis, which I won't get into. Um, but what do you make of Sabine Lisicki right now? Let's go with that. Well, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to make of Lisicki. Well, okay. I have opinions as to what... I think about Sabine Lisicki right now and the state of her game and everything. And I asked her directly, you know, during all access, like, what do you make of the state of your game? 
And she kind of proceeded to say, like, you know, it's been tough because, like, injuries and da-da-da, hit one wrong shot, and then her shoulder was done early in the season, and then getting sick and all these sorts of things, right? Bad luck stuff, yeah. So she mentioned it. And then a subsequent question was asked, like, you know, like three or four questions later, which, which was just to clarify. I didn't ask the question, but, like, it was just to clarify, which reporters do sometimes. Like, can you just run through the injuries and illnesses that you've kind of had to deal with, you know, over the last six months. And she kind of, and she was like... She got very cold. She got cold quick and was like, you can look it up. Which, mm, I'm asking you, like, you have an opportunity to kind of set the record straight. We you're, read a lot of things on the interwebs. You're kind of the authority on Sabine Lissicky, yeah. comma Sabine Lissicky. But it was just a yeah. weird thing of just kind of like, okay, so you want, I mean, honestly, I got up and left from the round table because it was like all about Martina and like that and she was talking about that and then anytime we actually wanted to talk to her about her the status of her game and you know what have things been like since Wimbledon like I asked her I was like you know did you feel like you had more pressure after Wimbledon because like the attention you were kind of back in the spotlight which I think is a totally natural psychological reaction is to feel like yeah. you're thrust back in and she's and she just like looked me dead in the eyes and was just like no it gave me confidence and I was like, okay, but that confidence didn't translate into anything. So I don't really know what to make of you. You know, it's like you talk big and say, oh, I came out of Wimbledon full of confidence. And like, but then I got injured, but I'm not going to talk about my injuries. And she, she's always spinning just, things. It's just too much. I just was like, this is exhausting. I'm going to go talk to somebody else. Like it, it just, I think I, I think I ended up making a phone call. Like actually I was like, this is, that's how kind of fruitless it seemed, at least for me and what I wanted to get from her, which was just. Haven't talked to you in a while. Like, what's up with you? Like, you know? Yeah, and, we, I haven't talked to her all year. Yeah, you know? And, she's, honestly, because she's been losing our lane tournaments. And I, and I was never, and she always played, I was never at the doubles in Miami because she was always playing really early in the day. But yeah, so that's the thing. Hopefully she turns around because what she did at Wimbledon last year was incredible. It's incredible when she plays well. She's she, awesome when she plays when she well. Plays well but, but, like, but she needs to get a better medium level because right now it's all or nothing for her and it doesn't work. And her rank, if she loses early Wimbledon, her, she could be barely in the top 50. What I would like to see from her is just ownership. Yeah. Take ownership of, of the status of your situation. And I think that, like, one player who I think is very, in a lot of ways, similar to Lisicki and who does take ownership is Kvitova. Yeah. She absolutely takes ownership. Like, when she's playing well, she's playing well. And when she's injured and sick, she's injured and sick. And when she's not playing well, she's not playing well. And those are actually kind of the funniest, like, kind of dry, like, sarcastic. Petra is actually pretty funny. No, she's fine. Um, but, yeah, like, she, she kind of owns herself. And uh, you don't get the sense that she's being delusional. And I think that with Sabine, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, it's very hard to kind of cut through a lot of the, the puffery. And, and spinning to kind of get um, a proper understanding as to, like, what her mindset is and, you know, her game at any stage right now. And it's frustrating because I, I love her game. I think she's a, just a great player, and I would love to see her in the top ten, but we'll see. So one player who we talked to here who was not no puffery to speak of per se or at least let's sarcastic puffery no um nothing to really have to hack through to understand what she was coming from so far as madison keys who is the guest on this week's show we're happy to have another guest i think our first guest this year how things have worked out we have one save from anyone else which we'll bring you later in the season but madison keys we talked to today madison won today uh, seven six seven six 
and was in a very good mood. I think everyone will quickly find out when listening to this. And Courtney, what did you make of our chat with Madison without giving too much away, I guess? What I liked about finally being able to get Madison on audio in a, in a podcast form is that she is kind of one of my favorite players to interview because there is this, she's a teenager. I mean, she still has that to her. There's a maturity as well. But she's incredibly good at banter. Yeah. Like, and um, kind of just, like, whatever you throw at her, it's the, the opposite of her game. It's like, whatever. No. I know, but she says it. But, like, you know, whatever you, you throw at her, she just kind of, like, is adept um, in, in, with her wit um, and humor and self-deprecation and sarcasm to kind of go with. So I really kind of enjoyed that. It was just kind of, like, an enjoyable, you know, ten minutes of just chat. Um, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. We and talked. I think you'll get a sense of her personality um, a lot from this, this discussion. I think, so I think it translates much better in audio than it does in print for her. Um, she's definitely engaging and engaged on all sorts of topics. We talked a little bit about her agent, Max Eisenbud, and his influence on the game. So that might not be clear. If you don't know who he is, he's the agent of several top players, women's players. And yeah, so that was it. Um, and we'll let Madison play us out as we say, night y'all from Charleston and wish you a happy rest of the springtime. Happy April, you guys. It's April now. Timber! It's going down. Are you excited? <laughs> I'm so excited. Very yes. good. We like excitement. But thank you for joining us, Madison Keys. No problem. How is it? How's your life? My life is fantastic. My life is... um. I mean, last night, Petco and I were tearing up the dance floor. We've seen. We've Did seen you the see? vine. Yeah. On, yeah. I mean, we were going for a lot longer. It's going longer live than... on SI in is about it? five minutes. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. As so are all excited. of your photo, your photo Oh, we looked gorgeous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there was one where I had a tiara on oh, and yeah. everything. It was yeah. nice placement, too. Did you have right? to, like, it was you really have to, good. digital? Yeah, so it was, the... like, it started off really big, and you had to make it super small, and then you had to, like, position it on. So I think it, it turned out pretty well for all the stuff that we had to go through. You didn't bring sure. your own PR to the party? No, I didn't. I left it at home. That's you need to start yeah. packing that. I know. I should just show up one day to press in my tiara. You should. On court. Elena Yankovic basically does. So. <laughs> I mean, I think one day I'm going to. I'm you just should. gonna walk in with a tiara. Look, if Serena can walk in with with, with Chip, and Venus can walk in with Harold, you can walk in with a tiara. I think Props you're are right. important. I think I'm gonna call Max and be like, "Hey, Max, <laughs> can we?" look into getting me a tiara like a nike tiara or like a separate sponsored tiara i don't know could like tiffany Tiffany's Tiffany, that'd, be, that'd be good Tiffany's Dang, do you're, it, a classy, right? you're a classy lady yeah we're not doing Tiffany. nike no we're going <laughs> tiffany or you didn't Swarovski even go yeah, i was gonna say like you didn't that. even go swarovski no let's straight just for go tiffany. straight to tiffany yeah there you go impressive work yeah do you think i mean would max flip out i mean how did you even let's get to this like how did you even pair up with max like how did that i mean because i've talked to a bunch of different players and everybody kind of talks about different ways that they kind of find their management company and things like that like how do you um, settle on on mr eisenbud and become an eisenbuddy who was that you who threw out the eisenbuddy fame and then I it like coined it went, i would just like to she say. did go okay. originally i saw right. it from her okay <laughs> but um well everett tennis academy was an img hmm. academy so max was always just kind of coming in to see his other clients and things like that and i mean he was just always around you know and he was always super friendly and and then when I turned, you know, 13, 14 and was really thinking about going pro, he was, I mean, he was just the one person that I felt really comfortable with. Right. So he was kind of like, hey, do you want to be signed? Yeah, cool. 
Plus, it's fun. Simple as that. Like, you weren't being, like, you know, chased and courted by, by other management companies. I mean, I, I think, think so you would be. I think there was a couple, but at the same time, I was 13. Right. So I think it was more through my parents. Yeah. But there was definitely a couple of agencies that were there. But I just, I mean, I just felt so comfortable with Max because I had known him for two, three years already. Is it at all daunting, like, signing when you're 13? Or does it feel normal at that point? Or do you even understand what's going on? Uh, you have no idea. I look back. <laughs> you're like, I get Nike clothes. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I get free clothes? <laughs> what? They're paying me to play tennis? This is the coolest ever. I, yeah, I mean, I think had I waited, like a lot of people, it would have been a lot harder for a decision. Mm-hmm. Just because you have, I mean, now, now you understand what you're doing. Right. But, I mean, I'm just, I'm just really happy that it kind of all happened the way that it did. Is there ever, like, a sense of, like, oh, there's, like, added pressure because it's Max, and, you know, obviously the clients that he has and things, and now you're one of them, so then everybody kind of is like, oh, okay, well, Max Eisenberg thinks that, like, this Madison Keys character has, has something. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think that's the way I think about it. It's more he saw... Lena, he saw Sharapova, and he saw something in them that made him want to sign them, mm-hmm. and then look where they are now. So it's kind of like, okay. well, hey, maybe he has a good track record so far, so maybe he sees that in me, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, in a couple years down the road, I'll be where they are. <laughs> it gives you confidence almost. It does give me some confidence, yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of the best agents out there, and after every match, there's always an email, and He's like a mini coach all the time, and it's like, okay, so you're playing her, so go to her forehand and say, okay, Max, thank you. <laughs> he really, he goes, he goes that. Oh yeah, no, tactical. he he's like, he wow. thinks he knows what he's talking about, and for the most part, he does, but sometimes just like, okay, he's watched thank a lot you. of tennis. He has, thank he's you. seen some tennis in his life. He has, so he definitely can. I mean, he's just all over it. Most Have you of the ever time. been able to convince him to turn off his BlackBerry? No. Yeah. Never. No. Ever. And he has that giant like. I don't even know what it is, like half tablet, half phone thing. <laughs> so when he puts it up to his face, it looks like he has an iPad up against his head. Okay. <laughs> so, CEO's a sugar pova, you know, that's just I know, I roll. swear, he has like three phones. I'm mean, like, do you sleep ever? <laughs> do you eat? Do you do anything other than type on your phone? That's a repeated question I hear from Eisenbud clients. Oh my there's goodness. A, there's a doubt that I he don't actually know, sleeps. I don't know how he does it. He has, I mean, he has me, he has Sharpova, he has Nali, he has Robeson, he has Isla. I think that's it. But I mean, I like to think that I'm pretty low maintenance, but I mean, I'm probably... Is that your sarcasm kicking in or are you being honest? No, I'm being honest. Totally honest there. I'm pretty low maintenance. But I would imagine with all the things that Lena and Sharapova have to do, and even Laura, Mm I'd imagine his phone is constantly like bing, 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 going. Bing. Yeah. And then he was he was talking about how when he signed Lena, he was like, yeah, so she's in China, which is like ahead of us. Yeah. Meaning those hours when I was sleeping, I'm mm-hmm. now getting emails. It's like, oh, so you're like gonna die in five years because you don't sleep. <laughs> That's what you're saying. That's the concern. So you gotta yeah. get your success in in the first five years then. This is, yes. This is kind of I know. The pressure on you. I know. And he's always eating that dang yeah. sugar pola. <laughs> He always has a bag on him. Hey, respect always. the hustle. I mean, respect it's the hustle. so good. And, I mean, I got to a point where he would give me a bag, and I'd eat it in one sitting, so he stopped giving me it. Danger. I know. How does he not provide all the sugar pova to the Charleston player party? Which was there was like no sugar pova on sugar-tastic. that candy bar, on that candy spread. No, but there was in Sony. 
Oh, was there? Was it like out of control? Oh, they had the pink berry. The pink berry. And the toppings were sugar pova. That's right. And every time I walked by, I'd be like, oh, I just want the candy. Exactly. No pink berry, just the candy. Have you ever, I don't obviously do with Max, have you ever dealt with Maria? Ever? Or does he try to, does he think he keeps those fingers of his hand pretty separate? Um, well, I mean, I know I'm in our line, so yeah. we've definitely, you know, talked about the way certain things fit and things like that, but I mean, for the most part, she keeps pretty much to herself and she has, you know, her whole group mm-hmm. and so, I mean, it's not like we sit down and talk about being a nice buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really, but, but we have like sat there and like crossed paths and then sat down and kind of like made fun of Max together. <laughs> You'll always have that. That yeah, connection will always exist. bond that way. <laughs> well, speaking of player parties, obviously last night was the Charleston one. What makes a good player party? You get, there's a lot of them. Some of them are great. Some of them are kind of clunkers. Let's be real. And they're not always, you know, but what looks like you had a good time last night. What, was that just because you were in a good mood or something particularly well, set you off? Well, if you haven't seen the video, then you won't know, but I am the life of the party. <laughs> And Petco and I kind of like, I mean, Petco and I were talking. No one came out and joined us. I know. That so, was what was a little awkward about okay, the vine. But she was lie. saying either we were so good and we were intimidating people mm-hmm. or we were so bad mm-hmm. that people were embarrassed for us. And I'd like to say that we were intimidating. That's good. Positive yeah. thinking. I think that's what it was. It's good. But, you know, I mean, this tournament always has such a great party. It's just, it's really intimate. You know, it's mostly just players and coaches and the volunteers that you see all the time. Right. And so, and then there's always just, there's just such great music and there's always something to do. There's always a photo booth of some sort mm-hmm. and there's just always something fun to do there. Is, is it that like tough? I mean, I think I saw pictures from like Monterey with like a bunch of the players dressed the up like zombies. The Walking Dead or something? I don't, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I like, I'm personally kind of that person when I get to like dress up and actually look nice for once. <laughs> I don't want zombie makeup on. You're weird. I, I want people to be like, oh wow, she looks really pretty. Not, oh my god, she looks like her face just got clawed off. <laughs> that's just me personally. Hey, you that's, know, that's your different choice. strokes for different folks. Yeah. That's your you know. choice. Fabio I mean, Panetta won Indian Wells and dressed up like a zombie because she can. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know what? You go you and go. you own it. And she does. And I'm gonna own my tiara. Yep. You mentioned you mentioned it being more relaxed here. It's one of the very one of the growingly few women only tournaments. Is that does that make a different vibe here? You think? Make it more relaxed? Um. Well, it's definitely nice because we don't have to fight with the boys over the courts. Yeah. That's that's or nice practice for courts. Us. You mean? Yes. Yeah. Or even men's matches where you're just like, oh, look at that. They're six all in the third set and it's only been three hours this is fun to follow <laughs> i'm sure they're saying the exact same thing but you know what at us open this year i had to wait 10 sets to go on oh. this third match oh. and i went on after the night match so they can talk all they want but i sat there all day long so Patiently, no matter what they say quietly munching on sugar pova yeah i i mean i warmed up probably six times what's the worst slot like on a order of play, like when you look at it, you're like, oh my god, I got the shaft. Um, one year I had, I was fourth match on at French Open, oh. following two men's matches and a women's match. And then darkness is an and issue. And then darkness is an issue. Yeah, because you don't even know if you're going to get on. No, so it was kind of did like a, on? I did, yeah, and it was like pitch black and they wouldn't let us get off the court. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, let me just 
hit myself in the face because I can't see. But this is fun. Yeah, yeah. I love Let's clay. Keep playing. Clay's awesome. Woo! <laughs> Who needs light? Overrated, I think. It totally is. Let's just start playing in the dark. Yeah. We always let our guests pick an outro song for your segment. Like, what's what's the Madison Keys theme song right now? Or the message, the musical message you want to send to our our listeners, our loyal listeners. We're big Madison Keys fans. Most oh my goodness, this is this is difficult. You know what? I'm gonna go with Timber because <laughs> didn't you dance that last yes, night? Yes, we did. <laughs> so I'm just gonna go with that because it's been stuck in my head since last night. That's a really good pick. So She's, we'll go with that. Courtney's a really big Kesha fan. Don't believe even it or start. not. Are you a Kesha fan? Why are you not a Kesha fan? Thank I, you. She spells her name with with a, a dollar sign. So, I feel like that's not appropriate. I feel like I'm going to put like number five in my last name now. It's going to be like K-E-Y-5-S. You should. You know what? I'm just going to start five and, and in your first name too. Yeah, and I'll put like a three in the first name. Why not? And the three and the five are silent. Throw in an ampersand, I say. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just get crazy. Fine. Hey, if you're going to be inspired by Kesha, go for it. Yeah. I'm just going to, every other letter is going to be something different. <laughs> so it's going down. We're yelling, thank you, Madison, for joining us. And good luck the rest of the way here. Thanks, guys. I'm mortified by what you just did. <laughs> I Thanks, think it was guys. great. Going down, I'm yelling timber. You better move, you better dance. Let's make a night. You won't remember. I'll be the one you won't forget.